Welcome to The Brew, a podcast series which deep dives into trending topics about business and culture. Now sit back and join in on the conversation over a cup of freshly brewed coffee. Well, welcome to The Brew. Today we have a very special episode. Today is the voter special. Uh, we are joined by the managing partner of Logic. We have Luis Macedo, and we're also joined by council member Andy Melendez. Um, and you ha- are a lifelong resident of Riverside. You've been here your entire life and right. multiple generations, correct? Right, correct. So you're currently uh, a candidate for mayor of uh-huh. Riverside. Yeah. Um, to just kind of go right into, right now it's voting season. Um, why did you decide to uh, run for mayor? Oh my goodness! That is, a, that is <laughs> right actually a loaded question. An easy question. An easy, easy question, question right off, off the bat. You know, obviously, I've been on the council 14 years. Yep. You know, and, and if you look at other other candidates like uh, Mayor Loveridge or Mayor Bailey, they were two years or two terms or three terms. I'm a four-term council member. Mm-hmm. I've been on there, and they, well, why did you decide? Well, it wasn't an easy decision, and. It, wasn't a sporadic decision, but it, what what it was was a decision that that I felt that I was ready to move on to the next step. Uh, having represented War II for almost 15 years now, you know, there's so much that you can do in a district, but at the same time, there's still work to, that needs to be done because any community is evolving. But now you have an opportunity to work with the entire city. Yeah. You know, when you work with the entire city and you're working in War II, you see really opportunities in other parts and things that people may not consider, but but I'll give you one. I'll, I'll give you one example. The Tyler Galleria. When I started talking about the Tyler Galleria three years ago, four years ago, I said, you know, e-commerce is going to come our way, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to start thinking about these malls in a different way because they are going to be changing. They're going to be evolving. E-commerce is going to start taking over. What are we going to fill these locations with? Uh, the, the other is at our airport. We've got a great airport. Believe it or not, we have 105,000 105,000 operations a year there. Wow. 105,000. That's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think Ontario has 80,000 out of their airport, but they've yeah. got bigger airplanes. We have smaller airplanes, but 105,000, that's a lot. How do you create economic opportunity through there? How do you utilize our technology to make that grow? So, you know, that was one of our running for mayor. Those are the things that you're able to do. You think about How are you going to change things? How are you going to make things better? How are you going to make them grow and create the opportunities that our community needs so you don't have to be commuting to Orange County every day or to L.A. every day or going into San Diego every day? you got to come up with ideas that are going to create these types of jobs that are are going to be technology-oriented, but at the same time have the types of jobs that still require the mechanical skills. If you have airplanes, you're going to require airplane mechanics. You imagine 105,000 operations at our airport and we don't have an aviation school. Yeah. Yeah, where, where do you go to school to learn aviation? We're very fortunate to have a small one called Airbob. They're just starting out. I, in fact, I met with them three or four months ago, and they want to be able to grow that, mm-hmm. and I want to help them be able to grow that. Even mm-hmm. though that's not in the city of Riverside, they are still part of our community, can yeah. really provide great opportunities for, for our youth and our, and our adults. So when, when you think about running for mayor, you know, the, the idea here is really think Think globally, but act locally, locally, and, and create those those opportunities for not only Riverside but the Greater Inland Empire. How many of us know parents or aunts and uncles or cousins that go from Riverside to San Bernardino or to Orange County to work? Um, you know, we're we're very mobile. People from mm-hmm. uh, our surrounding area will come here to work as well. So it's a matter of 
creating opportunities, I believe I can do that as mayor. But, you know, I have been here. Uh, my family's been here since, since 1910. Wow. That's a long time. It's a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they say it's a miracle that I still speak Spanish because I do speak it. But our, my, my dad's family has been here since 1885. Okay. 1890. Not here in Riverside, but in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He, his family moved here about 1910. I'm sorry, 1915. My mother's family was here about 1910. So we've seen the growth and development. I grew up in an area called Casablanca. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But Casablanca is an area that when I was growing up, nobody wanted to go to uh, simply because they felt that they were, because it was violent, because there were things happening there. You didn't mm-hmm. feel safe. And it was a low-income community. I felt that was just part of life. You walk down the street, somebody wants to fight with you. You, you don't want to fight, and but you have no other option but to fight, you know. And yeah. that's just the way you grow up. And it's usually not a kid that was your age. They're usually like two years older mm-hmm. that wants to pick on you and take advantage of you. But, you know, it was that, that neighborhood. And, and it helped you, be, helped you with an awareness. And, and at the same time, wanted to make sure that really nobody else had to grow up like that. You know, you wanted to create mm-hmm. a safe community so that everybody felt comfortable. Uh, so, um, you know, the the, um, the, uh, the time that I've spent here, we've seen a lot of growth, a lot of development. I miss the orange groves in Casablanca. It was surrounded by orange groves. So when the orange blossoms came in in April, the smell was so pungent. Sometimes it was like it was almost gagging. It was so, mm-hmm. so, 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 uh, so difficult. But I had cousins that used to come in from L.A. and just to visit and smell the orange blossoms, you know, during during the orange grove time. So we had so many of them. Uh, so much of the community I grew up in were uh, agricultural workers. We also had uh, individuals like my age that never spoke any Spanish, although their parents spoke Spanish. They only spoke English because mm-hmm. that's what they wanted to, to do. And then we had other parts of our family where not our, well, our family, but also other families that spoke English and Spanish altogether. They mixed it up. Mm-hmm. And then we also had a group of individuals, the youth primarily, that, that spoke in what they call Chicanismos, which are like Chicano speak. Mm-hmm. So it, they weren't really words. But they, <laughs> they weren't really words, but they were words. Yeah. So, for example, if you say, well, we'll see you later, they would say, oh, I te watcho, which is a combination of English <laughs> yep. and Spanish. Okay, you, yeah, yeah. you speak Spanish, so I te watcho. You know, vamos al chante. Well, let's go to our house, which is what we call it, uh, a house. Or, or, you know, or, or we say, you know, or things like um, when you say, oh, don't, don't kid me. And then you go, orale. <laughs> you know, it would be those types of things. So you got a, an influence of a lot of different, I mean, it's all Spanish and it's all mixed and it's Spanglish. But you got that, that, that different flavor from different parts of the culture that I grew up in, which is Mexican culture. Um, and be, coming through Americanization and becoming eventually somewhat assimilated mm-hmm. uh, yeah. into the community. So the one thing about our community as a whole, uh, and this is the Mexican community, but it's the same as the Nicar- Nicaragua community or the Guatemalan community, South American, tremendous pride in our culture. Love our culture, love our food, love our family, but we also know that we're part of something uh, very special and that we're part of the United States and, and, and want to contribute. Uh, my father fought in World War II. Oh, wow. He, uh, well, you know, that, that's one thing. But he also landed on Omaha Beach, which is Normandy. Oh, wow. And he fought through the north of France. And uh, as they were approaching Germany, they, they got this, uh, these got these orders to go fight the Germans in France. And he said they had to move really fast. Well, they were headed towards the Battle of the Bulge. So he was part of the Battle of the Bulge as well. That's where he received his uh, silver star and his bronze, uh, bronze star and the purple heart and uh, other accommodations for, for, for in the war. 
And, you know, at that time in 1943, 42, you know, you had a different perception of individuals who were of minority backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, but still, he felt very uh, compelled and very proud of being born here in the United States and fighting for the United States of America in, in uh, France and Germany and uh, Belgium and all the areas that he was fighting in. So that's a little bit about me and it's a little bit about my family, but we have been um, very proud, very proud Americans, but also very proud of who we are as individuals. No, absolutely. And no, I think that's, that's fantastic. Like you, that's crazy background, uh, <laughs> go into a, a lot, a lot of different avenues, uh-huh. but yeah. I, I, I really, appreciate you telling more yeah. about your background to really kind of understand um, your, your your family dynamic, your your upbringing in Riverside, and really you, you wanting to contribute uh, specific to Riverside. And we'll, we'll go into the details of like sure. the specifics of like the future of Riverside and what, what it can really become. Mm-hmm. But I think one wh- where we really want to get started, especially why I asked like, why are you running for mayors? Yeah. Um, right now, obviously, we're, we're in uh, political debates like we have. It's voting time. Everybody should hopefully is already registered to vote. And six should, days away. Six <laughs> days away. You got to make sure you uh, cast that vote. Um, but I really want to kind of tie into like, why is it so important to vote? Why is it so important to engage in this local government? Um, and what does that really mean? Because when I was growing up, um, I'm, I'm also an immigrant. I, I was originally born in Finland, came to the United States, became a dual citizen. Um, and when I was growing up, I really ne- never really understood the importance of voting. I really never really got it. It was kind of, yeah. it is what it is. It's not really impacting yeah. me. It's, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Now I get it. It's important to vote. Yeah. But I, I really want to kind of have that dialogue based off of is, why is it so important to vote? Why is it so important to engage in local government? Well, well first of all, have, have you ever shook hands with anybody? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and and what, is, what does that mean? I mean, that is a strong connection. Yeah. Uh, that vote is shaking hands with that candidate. That's getting to know that candidate, that's developing a relationship with that candidate. And when you develop a relationship with the candidate, you're starting to develop uh, and share an ideology. Yeah. Things that you want to see, things that you want to develop, ideas that you have and things that you want to share. If if that candidate does not win, you'll still have that relationship. Maybe the ideas don't go as far. But if you if you also have that same relationship with a winning candidate, you have that stronger relationship and the, the stronger uh, connection where you would be able to have more of an influence uh, in uh, the way our city government works and the direction that it goes. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we find is that when individuals are 21, 22, they have a right to vote and they're active in voting. But you know that that vote, even that 18-year-old, that vote is as important as an individual that is 50 years old. Uh, And that individual's ideas that are 50 years old are gonna be much different than yours. And you wanna get your ideas out there. When I was growing up, and I'll just give you this example, and things don't have to work this way, mm-hmm. but when I was growing up, the protests against the Vietnam War were really moved by the youth. Yeah. Um, the, the changes in the way, the philosophical changes in government were really pushed by the youth. And that's why it's important uh, to connect with local government because there are needs and things and ideas that the youth want to see. And when I talk about youth, I'm talking about 18-year-olds to about 35-year-olds. Yeah. And, you know, as a group, obviously there's different sections because by the time you're 35, most people are, not all people, but most people are married. You might have a child. Uh, when you're 21 years old, you're still finishing up college. But those bringing together all those ideas to, to create a better Riverside and create a better community are so important. So why you should vote? Uh, let me let me tell you that 
Anytime you walk out your front door, if you live in the city of Riverside, you're looking at things that the city is responsible for. Mm-hmm. The sidewalks, mm-hmm. the curbs, the gutters, the paving on the street, the street, the house that you live in, we have to approve those. Um, you know, the uh, parks, the libraries, the museums, uh, the water, the electricity, all that, we're responsible for the police department. And if you have voice or some idea of how you, th- how you think those should operate, we want to hear from them. Or if you find fault with them or you want to see them strengthen, that's why it's important. You, you want to have voice in the community and you want to know who your electeds are. Mm-hmm. And when you vote, usually when you vote, you'll remember the name of the elected you voted for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, yeah <laughs> hopefully. hopefully you will. It depends on the condition you were in when you yeah. did it. Yeah. So, so, so if you vote... And remember, you'll know who to contact mm-hmm. or you'll know where a starting point is. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important. So so let, let's just uh, use the example of local schools. Uh, and let's just take UCR, for example. Yeah. UCR was growing so fast, and we didn't really connect with UCR uh, in terms of their student growth. Because at that time, most of the individuals that were UCR were commuters going back and forth. Yeah. But when they started to grow, what happened is that they began to diversify and they started getting students from all over. Well, the students were renting houses and doing all kinds of stuff. We needed high-rise houses. We needed better something closer to the to the, um, to the uh, university where we could start building uh, maybe a, a community. Maybe more students could gather. We needed to start having, and most of what we did was basically take student ideas to say, "Hey, what would you like to see? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you, how would you like this to develop?" And and we took those ideas to try to create a better and more synergic. Um, uh, synergistic uh, community there around UCR. We're still working on that, but uh, those ideas have come from students over the years. So why is it important to vote? Uh, to give vo- give your voice to the community, give your voice to a to an elected that would have some influence about the future of Riverside, and you would have inf- that influence as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, to kind of go off of that, one thing that I, I think a lot of times gets misconstrued is uh, federal government over local government, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you, a lot of times what we're hearing on the news and everything all, all mm-hmm. around, we're hearing federal government, federal government, federal government, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially right now with the presidential election, very obviously, very a polarized uh, yeah. event. But that being said, it doesn't really matter, well, to your point, it really doesn't matter what your ideology is, but if you're not voting, that idea doesn't go forward. Like there's nothing that allows you to then project on it because you can't change anything. But I think the one part I really want to hit home for people is, the importance of local government is a direct impact to yeah. you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Federal government, yes, it has a lifetime impact to you mm-hmm. and it has big repercussions, but local government does that direct impact. Like you said, your streets, right. your yep. your investment into your local businesses. Um, so w- one thing I wanna kind of get at is, what would you say is like what local government can do that the federal government cannot do? Well, well, first, first of all, one thing that local government, we have, Um, you have complete access to your local government. If you need to call a city council member, you will have immediate access. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. It's a city council member that you can see. He'll be here. He'll be there. I mean, he'll be all over town or she'll be all over town. So you have that immediate access, and then you have an active ear from from that. that. That's one. The other is that for small business, and I've had my business for 38 years now, uh, a direct communication with small business. And I'll tell you, I, I, uh, I also purchased properties. And when I had difficulties in a property that I owned downtown, I called my local city council member. I didn't call, you know, the state senator or, you know, the federal government. I called my local council member and said, I need help with this because we've run into some problems. And he was able to take care of that. 
So, so that immediacy and that complete connection, you know, it's, we, we, although we're slow in government, we work much faster than our, uh, our state and our federal government. So it's immediate yeah. that, that uh, as you indicated, uh, that response from, from, from uh, local officials. Um, and also, you probably see us all over town. Mm-hmm. We're, we're yeah. always someplace, you know, whether it be at UCR or whether it's the other side of town or doing ribbon cuttings or, you know, standing in front of the Fox Theater cutting ribbons and yeah. those types of things. That's what we do. And uh, and what we've tried to do over the years is try to create a, a great synergy in our downtown area. Yep. That's been mm-hmm. city. That's been city government. Uh, and when you think about city government and what we have to do, we also try to generate revenue for our city. And our belief at that time was if we were to build the Fox Theater and if we were to increase the convention center and if we were to uh, up to upgrade our, our municipal auditorium, yep. uh, we would be able to create an environment that would create more energy entertainment for people to come down. And uh, we do. We, we get a lot of people coming out of, uh, from out of town to come to those venues, uh, Fox Theater is not open and our convention center is not open, but people are still coming out to the food lab, mm-hmm. which is down there. We also have several of the restaurants that are still opening up and, and spend the time, the walk or the mission in for the Festival of Lights. Mm-hmm. Those are revenue generating um, uh, events that really help our city grow because we re- reinvest that money yeah. into the community. Yeah, I think that's honestly like a, a massive thing to hit on this idea of like not just reinvesting in the community, but reinvesting in the community in a way that makes sense for that community. Like mm-hmm. obviously you're not going to reinvest it in a way that would make that would make sense in a downtown Los Angeles. You're mm-hmm. reinvesting it in a way that I think makes a lot of sense for the downtown area. You know, you're making the you're bringing everything close to this like in this little bubble that is walkable to anything. So I mm-hmm. could go watch a play right. at the Fox. I could go to watch a concert. Um, at the auditorium if I wanted to, and I could yeah. go eat at uh, the food lab right. in a really quick kind of succession like that. Right. Um, and I think thinking about it in that way, it's it also, I think, touches on the point that you brought up where you're not just going out there and, and doing the thing because you think it's going to bring um, some benefit to the city as a whole. Mm-hmm. Rather, you're going, you're asking small businesses, you're asking people who reside within the city um, what they would want to see uh, right. and then make the changes that you think best reflect what the actual populace wants correct um which i think is, is something that right. at least i know that we as as younger people yeah. in the city of riverside we appreciate is yeah. something to where i don't have to go to you know a pasadena i don't have to go to a claremont i can stay here mm-hmm. um and give back directly um yeah. to the community and give back to the economy of the community that i think helped me to kind of be right. where i'm at now right mm-hmm. you know I, i'm glad you talked about that because it's, it's interesting if you, I started in 2006. I was elected in February of 2006 as a city council member. And one of my most challenging area was the Eastside community. Mm. Had bad hotels, bad liquor stores, and uh, bad, uh, badly run uh, nightclubs. And the question became, how, we, how am I going to change this? You know, how, how, is this, how are we going to move this to a better community, a quality of life community? And my background is sociology. That's what I am. I'm a sociologist. And then I, I'm also a counselor. So I'm an academic counselor is what, what I, in, in the school. So if you need to know what your next class needs to be, I, I can tell you. <laughs> Get your bachelor and your master's degree. But that, that's my background. So when we started working with the community, I mean, with uh, the east side, I thought, gosh, how are we going to address this issue? We had gangs. We had shootings. We had people shooting each other up. It was really, really, um, really challenging. And I, and I thought, well, you know, where am I going to start? So what I thought was, well, let's just talk to the community and figure out what they want. 
Yeah. That's how we started. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted safer streets. They wanted safer alleyways. They also wanted the same thing everybody else in the city of Riverside had, and that was access to education, access to parks, uh, safe parks, and a variety of things. So that's where we started our work. And then we also knocked down these hotels and knocked down these bad liquor stores and then knocked down these, uh, closed down these badly run nightclubs. But when you, when you do that to a community or you do that with a community, what happens is that there still are voids. You still need to replenish those. And one of the things that the school teachers basically said back in 2006 when I used to go out to talk to them because I wanted their input to see what their children needed or what their students needed, mm-hmm. they basically said the schools are taking away our arts. They're taking away the music. We don't have arts and music. They're, that's the first thing that goes from the budget. So I thought, well, maybe there's something that, that I can do uh, to, uh, to make this work for everybody. So what I did is took a little time and reached out to a few of our departments, and I, I came up with this thought of why don't we work together with our, our, um, our park and rec department why don't I do a little outreach to some of the musicians that I know mm-hmm. and, um, and then uh, see if we can develop some kind of class and um, coordinate, you know, some kind of structured uh, programming. Well, the very first thing that we came up with, this is only about four months, five months after I started, was, believe it or not, in the east side, this rough and tumble place that nobody really wanted to go to, was an opera program. An opera program, yeah. Wow. Uh, people say opera. We want mariachi. We want you know, Norteño music. We we don't want we don't want opera. We don't even know what that is. And I said, well, the idea here is for our children to learn, yeah, mm-hmm. and to go beyond our borders, and and to learn a new way of storytelling and learn a different culture and you know become. Uh, so what I did is that I I knew some people, so I called them, and there was a lady by the name of Susana Guzman. I don't know if you know who she is. Guzana, Guzana, Susana Guzman, I'll tell you a little bit about her. She was a rock and roll singer. And when she was about 19, 20, she burned her voice because she didn't have a trained voice. So mm-hmm. she would out there ah, scream and yell and do all these things and yeah. with her songs. She sounded great, but then she it didn't help. Her voice didn't help, uh, you know, didn't last very long. So she went to a voice instructor. Yeah. And the voice instructor said, she's from East L.A. Her voice instructor said, have you ever thought about opera? I mean, she's like 10 miles from the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And she said, no, never, never thought about it. He goes, well, you may want to try doing that. And she didn't know what to think about the idea, but eventually tried out for a couple parts, got some small parts. After about four years, she got the lead role in Carmen. And she was the opera star of Carmen and traveled the world. Oh, wow. She now speaks like four languages, you know, Italian, <laughs> French, German, and English, you know, Spanish. Well, you know, and, and she speaks all those languages that she learned through this opera. And she traveled the world, and uh, I knew that she was slowing down. So I picked up the phone and called her, and she says, you guys are starting an opera program in Riverside? I'll be happy to help. So she came out here, and she helped us. And she had a very similar story than those young children in the East Side did. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in a low-income community, loving music, uh, just you know, want to play in a band, those types of things. But they saw somebody that was like them. Yeah. And they connected with her very quickly. And we had the opera program for almost nine years. And it was filled to capacity every year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Every year. So after about the fourth year, after actually about the second year, people stopped questioning, you know, why, why opera? But after that third year, we brought in the ballet. And... I remember we brought in the ballet. It was the Riverside California, or the California Riverside Ballet into Bobby Bonds, which is the last place you'd ever want to see a ballet store. You know, nobody ever thought about doing that. We also brought in Shakespeare. 
mm-hmm. and they did Shakespearean plays. We used the old high school auditorium, which is the Cesar Chavez Community Center. So when we were during the ballet, I remember it must it was during the summer. It was hot. In there it was really cool, and we had like 200 children. All these children were between the ages of six and ten. They were jumping around, doing all this other stuff, and I was really nervous because I'm thinking, "Oh my God, what are these children going to think? You know, these young men and ladies come out in tutus. You know, these kids are, you know, I, you know, I was really nervous. I don't want them to laugh. I don't want them to, you know, not pay attention. I, so we're sitting there. I'm sitting next to our park and rec director, Ralph Nunez, who was our park and rec director at that time, and all of a sudden the lights dim and these curtain doors open. I mean, they just open up. And coming out behind the curtains are these four young ladies. They must have been about 13 years old. And they're coming out all in white, and the lights are shining on them, and they do the pirouettes coming out. I then realize that none of the kids are jumping around talking. And I turned around to look, and all the kids were just mesmerized. They were just looking. Some were smiling. Some were staring. Uh, Some some of them were just kind of, you know, like didn't know what to make of it, but were happy. But we're happy. And then I looked to my park and rec director who was sitting to my right. And he says, I would have never believed it. <laughs> Ballet at Bobby Bonds and Cesar Chavez. And when you think about it, it would have been the last place that in that time that anybody would have gone to learn or to see ballet or listen to Shakespeare or have opera. Now, with the development, I'm, one of, I'm the founder of the Riverside Arts Academy, where you learn violin and cello and everything and also have the ballet. It's one of the first places you go, yeah. which is a community transition. You mm-hmm. completely transition a community from what it was to what it can be. That same thing can happen with Riverside. And the way you do it is by getting community input. Yeah. You get your input, you get your input, you get ideas, young, young old, different cultural backgrounds, and you bring those ideas, and then you start developing plans on how to move ahead and, and developing those strengths that you need. Okay, I got, what was your question now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, know, I, know, I knew you, you had a question. You, you talk about being mesmerized by the ballet dancers. I'm just sitting here like, yeah, yeah keep going. I, know, I, I, I didn't even, honestly, I was just, yeah, same thing. I was just mesmerized with this story because, I mean, it actually kind of perfectly does transition into like the main conversation which we want to have, which is what is the potential future yeah. of Riverside? Because at least, at least for we us, have our ideas. We have our ideas and I do see Riverside with the potential to become a mini Silicon Valley. It has the right ecosystem for Mm -hmm. it. We have commercial real estate, which is cheap enough for business to want to move in. Mm -hmm. We have very talented students coming from UCR, especially from the engineering department, from the business school. I did my undergrad there. I also did my MBA there. Um, But the, I mean, actually, every single person on our team went to UCR. Like that's one beauty of beauty of our team. But the the one part that I think I'm very interested in hearing from you is. Mm How can we build up that ecosystem and how can we get more technology to drive? Because the one thing I see from Riverside is there's a huge gap between business growth and technology growth. So even though businesses are growing, the technology is not going the same. You're exactly right. And now I remember what I was, your question. It was actually your question to talk about more walkable and more bikeable communities. And that's what your question was. Uh, We just got a $31.2 million grant. This is the largest grant that we've ever received in the city of Riverside. And I'll tell you, this is the third year that I I was part of this, this team to get a grant that makes low-income communities, lowers their carbon footprint. Mm. And what what that grant is specifically set up to make sure that housing 
gets connected with public transportation and that the walkable or the sidewalks and the trees and the curbs and the gutters and the, the bike lanes, all those things happen to create and, and you have access to the services that you need so that you don't have to get in your car. You just walk from point A to point D. B. That $31.2 million, and I'm just excited about it because we worked really hard to get this, is all going to go into the east side from Chicago Avenue to the Metrolink station. Awesome. So oh, wow. all those improvements are going to do. So the whole idea was to make a more walkable, bikeable community. That's what the question is. <laughs> and, and I knew I was going to you know, make that point, because, but I, you know, it really becomes how do you change communities? Yep. But the way we got that grant was by incorporating community ideas. The grant came up and we asked the community members, what is it that you'd like to see? Now, that wouldn't have happened 12 years ago because they didn't have the understanding. I mean, it was an area that they felt that they were forgotten and you had a lot of Spanish-speaking individuals as well as English-speaking individuals. But when they start thinking about how you want to improve your community, those ideas continue to build and build and build. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to have a more walkable, bikeable community. It'll be a game changer for our east side. In terms of technology... One of the things that I've talked about is that we, we need to look at our resources. Yep. And and I think we've overlooked our resources and we haven't taken advantage of all the resources that we have. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to give you this one. There's two or three that I talk about. But, but one of the things that we have here in the city of Riverside, we have great hospitals. We have Kaiser Permanente Hospital. We have Riverside Community Hospital. We have a brand new Parkview Hospital, which under new management is, is starting to grow and develop. We have the UCR Medical School. Mm -hmm. You also have Riverside University Health Systems, which is out of Moreno Valley. But you also have Loma Linda, one of the most world-renowned universities right here in our backyard, Loma Linda University. You have Arrowhead Medical. You have several other hospitals in San Bernardino County. But that's the, the idea here is to develop a strategic medical plan. And when you bring all these hospitals and all these experts in, med med in medical fields mm -hmm. together, you can start thinking about the needs of the community and, and comprehensively go after those. So you wouldn't have to go to Orange County for a children's hospital, or you wouldn't have to go to LA for cardio, uh, you know, cardio experts or cardio clinics or respiratory clinics and mm -hmm. all those other things. But what happens is that you just don't only bring in the doctors, but you bring in those technology things. Mm -hmm. it, it also incorporates the, the, the pharmaceuticals. That's just one part. I mean, that's just one part because, you know, as you know, medical field really has a lot of electronics in it. I mean, yep. you know, yeah. so many of the machines you get hooked on, you're going to need the repair and you know, technologies. But all, those, but all those things come all together wrapped up. And that's a very underutilized industry that we have here in the Inland Empire. Mm -hmm. And we so often go out of town for those services. We need yep. them here, and we can develop them here. But that, the idea for that needs to be much broader than just Riverside. It needs yes. to be the Inland Empire. Absolutely. Yeah. The other is medical. I mean, the other is um, uh, um, uh, legal, the legal field. Uh, city of Riverside is the biggest city in the Inland Empire. We're, we're the largest city. We have 335,000 people. And we have every level of court system. We have the federal, we have the state, we have the county and the municipal courts. We don't even have a law school here. Yeah. We don't have an ABA <laughs> law school. I mean, yeah. how can that be? San Bernardino barely has one. I think University of Laverne has one of their classrooms there, but they're L.A. County. But if, for the most part, if you live in Riverside or San Bernardino County, there's no ABA law school mm -hmm. that you can go to. We should be able to have a law school here. But it's not singularly just the law school. 
But it's also when you start building the legal field, there are all these other ancillary types of businesses that support the legal system. And part of that is technology and networking systems and things of that nature, especially with all the courts. Mm -hmm. And we can really grow that, but we really have not done that. And I think it's a matter of calling the, calling the communities together and figuring out how we're going to be able to grow that field as well. And um, one last one, just uh, there are several others that we can talk about. Uh, when you talk about, well, I don't know if you guys have mortgages or not, but <laughs> one of these days you will. <laughs> but usually when you, when you uh, do that check to that mortgage company, you're going to notice that that check, or you do it online, it's going to go to this little, you know, Wilkes Booth, Pennsylvania place that you never heard of. And, and, and generally they do that because there's a lower cost of living there. You know, we have a lot of companies that want to go into Orange County and L.A., but the cost of doing business in Orange County and L.A. is about 40% more. And if we are, if we are uh, honed into this, we would be able to take those companies that want to go into L.A. to be in the L.A. vicinity, which would be Riverside area, mm -hmm. and they would have a lower cost of doing business and be probably just as prof profitable and have access to all three of our major universities here, which is La Sierra, Cal Baptist, and UCR. And then we also have our Riverside City College. So being, being focused in on, on the finance department and the finance industry and, and pulling some of those in and pulling some of those our way. And I know we can do it. It's just a matter of coordinating those and focusing, making sure staff is really focused in on where we want to go. So those, those are just some ideas. There are several others. They're smaller. There's some things we can just tweak here and tweak there and make that a little bit stronger. But, um, you know, UCR has been a great partner with us. Um, we do have the CARB, uh, California Air Resources Board, that's coming in. Mm -hmm. We also work very closely with UCR to get the UPATH program, which is the Human Resources Office for the, all the UC system here mm -hmm. in the city of Riverside. Well, it's yeah. right outside our border, but uh, we, we work to get, to get that in. And they, they, I think they have 450 jobs there. Yeah. So those are just some of the things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think you could touch on it a little bit, but this idea of like bringing in the right people, right? You know, bringing in um, not just the people themselves, but also bringing in a way for these people to actually thrive within the city once they're actually here. Mm -hmm. uh, I think is the important thing. Um, and one thing that I would add to that and see if you kind of are, are vibing with that and gelling with that as well is this idea of like just opening the doors in a way that is really inviting to these like i'm gonna put air quotes here but experts uh -huh. um these are people who in my eyes are really good at what they do whether that is law whether that is culinary whether that is real estate whatever it is uh -huh. um opening the doors to these people and showing showcasing uh -huh. really putting this like it like uh this foot forward uh -huh. that um, not only showcases, hey, here's the changes that are in Riverside. Here's mm -hmm. uh, what we've made. Here's where we're going. Mm -hmm. But really showcasing like, hey, don't just look at where we are and where we can be and mm -hmm. all, all this forward trajectory. Right. But right. also this could be you. Yeah. Like don't go open that like Michelin starred restaurant right. in Orange County or in Los right. Angeles. Come open it here yeah. where you can have but you can save your money. Uh, a little bit on like business uh, right. pricing and stuff like that and open here. Um, are you thinking about doing a new art installation? Well, hey, we have a few museums here. Like mm -hmm. try to not just um, not just kind of have these things in place for everybody, but also open the door for other people to become citizens of Riverside and really call this place a home. Right. right. You, know, uh, you know, you've touched on some really good things. And one of the strengths that I have is creating partnerships. 
and if you've gone through the east side, I'm just going to give you this as an example, and then we'll work it into a broader, broader view. One of the things that you've probably noticed, obviously, well, well, first of all, the Riverside Arts Academy is not solely supported by the city. That's one thing that I did not believe that we needed to do. What I did is we worked uh, and found volunteers to work with us. So you have a group of volunteers that are really the money generating. We do, we do ninety dollars to $100,000 worth of fundraising to keep the school going. And then we provide the space through our park and rec, and we also provide some, some staff. Yeah. So that partnership uh, has really saved the city a lot of money, but it's also made it extremely um, uh, beneficial because it grows faster. And when you have the community working on it, uh, we've engaged with some of the schools, private citizens to make this grow, and our fundraising has gone much better than, than we would have if it was just operated by the, by the city. Those are where the partnerships come in. When you look at the east side, you look at all the murals that are done. You know, we didn't pay for that. I partnered with individuals and found people that had the money that they weren't sure what to do with. Mm. And part of it was maybe to do some murals. And I said, I've got the spot for you, but you got to work with our community to empower them to make it work. And now that we've got the three partners and we can go to one of the three, whoever has the money and, and make those things work. And as a result, of building this over a period of three or four years, and, inc- and, and including a artist group that I work with. I'm not not an artist. I don't know. I, don't, I can't. <laughs> but anyway, you know, artist group. They're the ones that come up with these ideas. They, they become like a you know like a like a like a mini tank, a think tank to come up with these ideas. And as a result, we're developing a Park Avenue Cultural Arts District, mm-hmm. which is completely unheard of. I mean, yeah. nobody would have ever thought about doing that. A few years ago, uh, but that is what we're going to have. So partnerships. You talk about the real estate people. You know, you, you, we may want to partner with them and find out what their needs are, and see how they would take their ideas on what can make this community grow. And you know, we can't keep it funneled to the city limits, but we can keep it to the area. Also, the part of the counties needs to be part of this. You know, some of the major real estate companies need to be part of this. Um, some of the major, um, uh, you know, uh, the people like at the mall, the Tyler Galleria, they need to be part of this because they know what they want to see in the future. These guys are experts. How do we play a support role to help them to make that happen? And what we usually do are able to work with some of the zoning, some of the other types of um, uh, uh, um, types of variations of, of uh, changes of, of, of municipal codes that will help facilitate some of that growth. So it's really through the partnerships, and it doesn't have to be. One of the things that I tell people, one of the things that that um, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be the lead. And uh, as long as whatever we're shooting for works. And uh, the Riverside Arts Academy is a perfect, perfect uh, example. I'm the founder, but Colette Lee is really the leader. She's the one that's out in the community doing all these things, and I have no problem with that. As long, I mean, she she's got these great ideas. She's made the school grow, and that and we just provide a support role. Yeah. And the question becomes, how are we going to maintain our consistent funding? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. How are we going to make that regular so they get it? We can do the same thing with the private industry. Uh, being in business now 38 years, also being a property owner, very very familiar with how that works and develops. And I'll give I'll give you another idea, another thought. Uh, have you ever been to the Arts Walk in downtown Riverside? Yes, I have. Did you know the individuals that started that came out of my building? Really? Yeah. It came out, and, and I'll tell you. What I did is that I bought an old building, and the building was built in 1886. 
long before any of us were born.、Mm. I rehabilitated it. The city gave me all kinds of problems. They wanted to eminent domain it, they wanted to do all these other things, but I fought them and eventually I kept the building. And all I did was rent to artists on the second floor. I have 10 units up on the second floor. I gave them cheap, cheap rent. I didn't tell them anything. I said, hey, you want to rent this? this we have these spaces.、Yep. With their synergy, they came up with the idea that they wanted to, to,、uh, to start an arts walk. They partnered with Back to the Grind, Derek is Back to the Grind. They also, with Division 9 Art Gallery, and also with Mark Schooley, which is, who is the Riverside Community Art Association director. Those four came together and said, yes, we can formalize this art walk. And after three years, then the arts consortium connected with them and it continued to grow and grow and grow. Those are the ideas that don't require any city involvement, but it's done by the private industry once you've given them or allowed that opportunity to happen. Yes. If you keep bogging it down with all these rules and regulations, it's not going to happen.、Yep. But that's what private industry does. And, you know, in terms of government, we really have to minimize any obstruction to that growth. So that's how it works. And that's how I believe it should work. And it might be because I've been self employed for 38 years, understand the private side, but I also understand the government side. Yeah. And I think it's important ha- having.、Um, You put any group of artists in a room together and you're going to get something out、yeah. of it. In this case, it was, I mean, what I think is one of the coolest experiences to have besides、um, the Festival of Lights、mm-hmm. in, in the downtown area. Right. You know,、right. when, when you go and,、um, and actually see and contribute directly to these artists, you're、right. not, you know, you're not going like online shopping,、right. you're not doing all this stuff. You're、right. looking at the person that made it directly in the eyes、right. and you're saying, I really like this, I want、right. to buy it from you. Right.、Um, so I appreciate that that came out of,、uh, that came out of you.、Mm-hmm. Um, And I, I do appreciate you also saying, kind of removing,、um, well, first off, identifying that you know, businesses often will have sort of、uh, a self preservation mentality,、mm-hmm. obviously. And、yeah. that, that might sometimes be to the detriment of a community.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do like that you are saying, let's just take away some of the stuff that shouldn't be there、right. that limits. Not just businesses that are already existing within the area to, to reevaluate themselves、um, in a current economy、mm-hmm. and kind of push forward in new ways,、mm-hmm. but also allow for new businesses, new ideas, new forms of business, new ways、right. to do things, new ways、right. to think,、um, to not just kind of exist behind someone's mind, but、mm-hmm. be able to、right. be birthed、right. uh, and actually start within a community.、Um, and hopefully, with all of the incentives and all of the The sort of、uh, push and go ahead from the city,、mm-hmm. stay in the city, not just、right. get created here,、exactly. uh, like oftentimes happens, get created here、right. and then leave、yeah. uh, to Orange County or leave to Los Angeles County.、Mm-hmm. Instead,、um, feel really at home here,、mm-hmm. um, which also touches on what you said with the artists. And、mm-hmm. I think、right. the big takeaway here for me is,、um, and I mean, I've, in a lot of ways, I've been in the creative field. Like, I, that's, I've done photography,、uh, I've, I've done all that kind of stuff.、Mm-hmm. Um, And one thing I can tell you, especially coming from a, a creative,、uh, is when you feel like you are in complete control of your art, that and, and within your community, that is when you, you love your community.、Right. When you feel like you are just, you live in a city and you, you can't create something there and, and actually have the freedom to create something there、mm-hmm. and showcase it within that community, that I think is when you. Get to a point where you just say, I'm just going to move somewhere else that not just one appreciates、right. my art, but also will allow my art to thrive、right. um, and allow my creativity to thrive. So, 
being in a place and I like that it's at your forethought there is like allowing creatives, whether that's artists, whether that's, I mean, everybody's a creative, right. regardless of who you are, what you're running. An accountant is a creative in a lot of ways. <laughs> right. Um, you're uh, laughing. Debatable, you're, debatable, you're, but... you're, you're laughing, but it's true. Yeah. Well, you can be creative uh, with the way you do your taxes. There, so, okay, okay, okay all right, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, all, everyone is a creative, whether you, whether you like to admit it or not, even to even a, a uh, an accountant. Um, but it's, it's allowing that to thrive. It's allowing not just yeah. Like if I was a creative, not just sitting down in a city and going, this is where I come to work because it's not my house. And now I'm going to go home and I'm going to sell my art online. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm going, I'm coming here because this is where I feel like I can create something, not just for myself, not just from a community, but yeah. for kind of people at large. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I think that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from it. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate that. As yeah. someone who, and I think Val, you can kind of speak to this yeah. as well. Um, we are of a younger generation. So we are coming at this in a way that's very much like a, a lot of things. <laughs> like a lot of things that we see, we maybe don't agree with 100%. Yeah. Um, and we have kind of a mentality of like, well, that needs to change. Right. Um, and, and I think that the way that that happens is kind of one of our models here is just kind of leveling the playing field mm -hmm. is the, is the way that happens right. is not allowing somebody because they are in X position, more advantages because they're there and they've yeah. been there instead allowing those opportunities, those advantages for everybody, regardless right. of time in the game right. or time in the actual community yeah. itself. Um, and, and I think that's uh, that's, that's yeah. awesome. Well, you know, you know, as, as you're talking and this is just an example and ideas, but one of the things that UC Davis did, University of California Davis, what they did is that they opened up a coffee bean roasting class. Hmm. And you just you know, learn how to roast beans. Most, yeah. most students would think, oh, it's easy, it'd be fun. And it's probably one of the most difficult classes they have because <laughs> it becomes very scientific on yeah. how you do it. But let's say, and we can look around the room here and say, you know, each one of you, would you like to learn how to roast beans? And when you learn that skill, you would have five different ways that the individuals are going to grow that idea. Mm -hmm. You know, some will do it with art. Some will do it with music. Some will do it with libraries and books. Some will do it in a variety of different ways. But you plant that seed and provide that opportunity and then provide that freedom to think on how you're going to develop uh, and work that beans. And it may not even be surrounded in beans and stuff. It may be just the specialty of bean itself yeah. that you can that you can uh, that you can uh, improve or find different creative ways of creating these coffee drinks but you know when you when you allow that opportunity to grow and develop uh, you're gonna see a lot of benefit from it well, one thing that I have noticed when I go up into that area now you'll see a lot of small businesses have their own bean that they're selling in swap meets or flea markets and those types of things they've developed mm -hmm. their own business and they may have another spot but you know, selling it at the, at the um, local um, gar uh, farmer's market might be just see an outlet to, to give them, you know, some more exposure. But when you think about those types of ideas, they, they, they grow and they really develop and allow those that are interested in that industry yep. to, um, to, to thrive and, and really create uh, opportunities. You know, we have a culinary arts school here in Riverside City College. We don't have a bean roasting thing. <laughs> we, we need one. You know, we need one. They've got everything else. Uh, they have the baking and the breakfast and the lunch and everything. Why don't you treat them out of roast beans? 
or brew beer or do those other things. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, and that that kind of goes into one point that I, I'm very bullish on, which is UCR has a lot of talent and they have a lot of opportunity to create a lot of startups. Mm -hmm. But the one disconnect is that UCR students generally are first generation students. They don't want to take that risk, right. first of all. And second of all, even the students that graduate, they don't technically want to stay in Riverside because there's not the jobs that Gen Z wants to have, which is like in tech companies. And as we talked about, like, yeah, there might be the law, there might be medical, those exist, but students never are really gravitated unless they go to a law school prior to. So one one thing that I've really wanted to see, and I, we've been pushing this for a long time, is having more opportunities for young entrepreneurs to have less risk to get in the game. They should still have risk because you can't build a business right. if you have no risk. Right. But having incentives. So for example, if a student entrepreneur wants to build a company, getting initial capital, for example, on early stages, so that post-graduation, they can actually pursue that startup venture and, and get involved. Because as of right now, I still, even though it's actively getting built out, I still see a very big disconnect between UCR and the city mm -hmm. when it comes to entrepreneurial activities. Right. Right. So at UCR, they're building programs. They have a launch pad, which uh, I participate in. They have iCore. They have great programs. But after you graduate, you're still kind of on your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I would love to see is an incentive system. Get these young entrepreneurs because that's how Silicon Valley happened. It's, it's young entrepreneurs that are very much want to find these problems that Riverside has and then right. solve them. But without kind of that push to make it happen, that's the one thing that I see as a hindrance factor from Riverside really like flourishing into what it could become is getting these young entrepreneurs to want to make their company in Riverside. Mm -hmm. And for example, that's why we decided to build our company here was for that exact reason is we believe in the future of Riverside. We're, we're looking not at Riverside today. Yeah. We're looking at Riverside five to 10 years from right. now and how yeah. it can be, it, it can flourish. But my question to you is like, how can that be made? Like, is, is there like a, a coalition of students working with the city council, for example, or what do you see as an opportunity that we can actually bridge that gap? Because I know a lot of students are struggling with that. They're like, I want to work on the startup. But then once they graduate, they're like, well, I need to get a job now. I don't, I'm a first generation mm -hmm. student. I don't, I don't have money. I can't afford to do this. So right. how do they go about that? Right. You know, and, and that the, the, you pointed that out. It, it's the partnerships. And, and usually, usually it's the, it's, it's the mayor that usually establishes those partnerships. Um, you know, and it really depends on the individual, especially if you want to do it citywide. The the idea of of growing and developing uh, students that want to go beyond what they have. One of the most challenging thing about any business, and it seems like the students have less fear uh, than, for example, myself, who started my own business when I was 28. Yeah. And I had two children and a wife, and uh, I was leaving a good state job to hopefully be successful in this. My wife was not really happy about it. She was really nervous about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how do you, how do you really start developing those, those, those ideas? And one of, the, one of the thoughts, and this is, and I'll give you an example, especially with, since I mentioned the culinary arts, I asked, why is it in your curriculum that you don't really have classes on how to start your own business? You know, and provide the students ideas of what, even though they may not start it immediately, but they will have some idea as to what it's going to take to be successful. Uh, should they have five years in the industry and want to break out on their own, mm -hmm. uh, and and you need to start that preparation early. Um, you know, one of the one of the uh, uh, complaints that I've had is that 
when I was going to high school, we used to have auto mechanics, we used to have metal shops, we used to wood shop, all those things. Those yeah. are gone. They're, they're completely gone. Uh, the high schools uh, have, they're gone. We don't even have it at our local colleges. I mean, we have a CNG, which is a very good program through our buses. We have a photography program, a few others, but and we have the, the culinary arts school. But we need to expand those vocational trades and those are the those are the those are the um, diving boards. Those are the those are the launching pads for for future, for future um, for future you know skill uh, vocational skills levels. But you also need to teach that component of, of self employment. One one thing that I've been very fortunate is that my my grandfather had a small store, so I knew something about about being self employed, uh, just because he was self employed. But a lot of the students don't. They don't really understand liability or, you know, open what it costs to open up something. And and once you become familiar with it, you become more comfortable with it. So you know what you need to do, next steps. And we don't do a real good job in preparing that. I, I think the schools need to help, and we also need to be a part of that as well and, and helping to grow that. So you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that uh, I think um, Riverside misses and one of the things that we need to start start developing. We talk about partnerships all the time, but... Sometimes it's not just partnerships. It's, you know, teaching within the system that we have and broadening that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like the one thing I would add on to that is, for example, like when, when we started Free Logic Media, um, one struggle I had was like exactly how to structure it, for example. And even having somebody like somebody providing pro bono work or educating people, the business structure and what, how you should make it. Should it be an LLC or an S corporation? Should it be a C corporation? Mm -hmm. How you should set it up? I know we have the SBDC and they do help in certain areas of that. Mm -hmm. But in very early stages when you're building business, that's a costly mistake. Yeah. So for example, right now we're Freelogic Media LLC. We're right now we're going through a rebranding process and we're going to incorporate and become an S corporation because I started learning tax code. And I started <laughs> learning why it's important to become S corporation for what we want to do in the future. But I didn't know that in the beginning. So right. that was an $800 mistake <laughs> to make an LLC, right. which now we had to transfer into an incorporation. So and including lost time and all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Keep, yeah. keep you in mind, he has an MBA. Yeah, and I have an MBA <laughs> too. So it's like, yeah, exactly. so, you know, keep, uh -oh. keep you in mind, like we, that's no knock. I mean, well, no, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind general, of a knock on. An, an MBA school's job is not to facilitate entrepreneurs and teach them business development is to make them advance in their professional careers right. so that that exactly. is not a knock on mba exactly. it's just yeah. that's they don't they're not teaching that the only time we learned about llc's s corporation was like in business 10 like the original <laughs> introduction to business yeah. with raj singh yeah. talking about his amazing story working at mcdonald's and then right. going to uh boeing or whatever right. he did yeah um that's the only time i learned about like oh here's the business structure but i'm not gonna even then it was it didn't make sense because i had no application of it i was like mm -hmm. i understood the theory i'm like okay you get this you get pa like pass through tax liabilities but when you build a company there's a different you have to look at it in different structures so for example like as we're building out our company we're looking to create subdivisions that's why right. the s corporation makes more sense also mm -hmm. by having partners for tax liability purposes having an llc is a nightmare because technically you pay your taxes on the profit at the end of the year not on your paychecks mm -hmm. so technically as an llc you're not even supposed to pay payroll for your employees but that makes it very complicated right. back right. and forth and these are it, it was it was a nightmare. Like, yeah, like you said, I wasted yeah. a lot of time just learning these things right. and like going through trial and error. But if I just knew about it from the start, um, it would have helped me feel more comfortable getting into entrepreneurship right. and not feel like this is like a, a journey I have to go on my own. Like there's yeah. at least some support there. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're absolutely right about that. We, and we don't teach that. We don't touch on that in, in either one of our school systems, whether it be high school or city college or, or the other. Yeah. You know, they'll teach you the mechanics, but they won't teach you 
yeah. the, the real life skills. And uh, just a just a real quick thing, if you are playing the Brew Bingo at home, we did talk about trade schools again. I think this is like <laughs> the fifth time we've talked about trade schools on this podcast. And yeah, we're huge advocates for it. Uh-huh. Like it's like go like the amount of like the, the weird separation happening where like. Uh, again we keep talked about this ad nauseum in different podcasts but this weird separation happening where it's just like trade schools are bad because you should be sitting in front of a desk and that should be your job that should be what you're mm-hmm. aspiring for um when in reality absolutely not like we need yeah. trade um whether that's plumbing whether that's electrical whether aviation. that's welding aviation um whatever it is like that's yeah. really really important um yeah. for a city and for a city yeah. to grow and for yeah. a city to have small business because yeah. they start like most people who work in trade will turn around and start their own practice in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You know, I'll be driving down the street, my car will break down. You know, I have my bachelor's and my master's degree, you know, the mechanic. Okay, tell me who's the smartest one now. (laughs) Tell me who the smartest one now. (laughs) Fix my car. (laughs) How much is that? (laughs) It could be very expensive. So vocational vocational schools are so important because they do provide, I mean, a a great, they provide a great living. You know, Mm -hmm. and I know individuals that are auto mechanics and have done fantastic at it and um whether you're a welder or whether you're a carpenter uh, you know you can make some good money doing that and and also yeah. you know what you're finding is that even the tools in these industries are so i mean when you talk about a cnc cnc uh, cnc machine you know the uh, computerized numerical uh, control uh, uh, you know mill, milling machines those things are amazing yeah. you have to be a technician to operate it but you also have to good eye, you have to have a good eye on on milling and and machining to to understand what you're doing uh, so, uh, you know, they definitely are, um, they definitely are so important to our, to our community. So, you know, I, I would, I would encourage that to, to start developing. That's something we really can't do as a city, but, you know, the schools need to be, I think, um, uh, more away from the academics. I mean, keep the academics, but really broaden it into more vocational programs. Yeah. I mean, the application, yeah. application is everything. And I think the last part for like allowing Riverside to really flourish and become something powerful is literally why we build our company here, which is Riverside lacks the understanding of technology and digital implementation to grow the business. So what I mean by that is, for example, I know a lot of businesses that don't even have a website. When COVID hit, they had no way of creating an ordering system. They didn't have marketing out. They don't, they don't leverage social media. They don't have technology leverage data to understand how to grow their business. These are things that are lacking in knowledge and haven't been implemented. And I think that's the last piece that really has to hit home when it comes to Riverside to grow and the Inland Empire as a whole is that you go to LA, there's gonna be ad agencies on every corner. There's gonna be digital marketers on every corner. You're gonna have consultants at Deloitte and all these major consulting. You go to Riverside, there isn't any. There mm-hmm. isn't any well-known companies. There are small ones. And that's, once again, we found that opportunity. And that's why we're, we're filling in that gap. But sure. I think that's the other piece is that it's not just building the business. It's building the business in the modern era. Mm-hmm. And it's scaling it in the modern era. So learning, like, for example, I, I, there should be, like, training programs for small business owners to learn how to, like, leverage a website and grow it. Yeah. There should be training programs to how to leverage social media, how to create a booking system. These small things are literally why some businesses went under at the start of of right now, still as we're Mm -hmm. going through COVID, is because of lack of information and knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the other piece is that it's not just enough to build the companies, it's to make sure that they're up to date Mm -hmm. and they're catching up to the trends. Because if they're not catching up to the trends, you can build as many businesses as you want, but they're going to grow and then tumble right, down, and grow and right. then tumble down. You know, that's a, you know, the one thing that when you're talking about not making that turn or not making that transition, 
I think one classic example is you take the Sears department store, yeah. which were all mail order stores. I mean, they did everything mail order. Mm -hmm. And when technology came in, they didn't they didn't take it seriously. They didn't, but Amazon did. Yeah. And you know, boom, uh, they're they're way on out there. So with this company, we we, we have here, where do you hope to take it? I mean, where do you want to go? So, I mean, our, our I mean, if you want to want to go, let's 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 have a nice conversation about it. About, do you want the uh, here's the thing? There's Val's point of view, <laughs> which is very bullish, aggressive, uh -huh. visionary style, visionary style. And then, unfortunately, Nikhil can be here. He, he's the other partner. He's a realist. He's he yeah. He's like the realist. <laughs> and then I I try to rein in both <laughs> both the both of them and bring them in towards the middle <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, you know, my biggest fight in my business was also with my CPA. Yeah, she didn't want me to yep. spend any money. I'm like, what? What? You know, we got it. You know, but anyway, yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, man. What's a uh, where? Where do you see the company? So I mean, so our, our our major vision is we we won our our entire approach is leveling the playing field and getting companies to get to the next level. So for example, from web development, from digital strategies, so leveraging what the modern is for marketing, business growth strategies. That's one thing we want to implement and really help Inland Empire like foster growth. But our ultimate goal is actually to build micro startups. So through the capital gains that we're gonna build as a company, we're gonna reinvest into micro ideas. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's so important is because what I was talking about with the lack of financial uh, application for like college students. So for example, I have a bunch of ideas for how to help out barbershops. One of our first client was JBiz Barbershop. It was started by a UCR student. We're now co-owners of that barbershop as well. Barbershop traditional business has been around for mm -hmm. centuries. But the thing is, a barbershop, by just us building them a web platform and digital strategy, we're able to triple their profits in the first year. Just that small of a tweak. Because now, how do students find a barbershop? They go on Google and they search barbershops. They look for fade haircuts. They look for these things. They found it. We also built the ecosystem so that when people go on their website, they can see that these barbers speak Spanish, they speak Mandarin, they feel comfortable with that individual prior to going to it. So it's it's connecting the digital world with the real world. That's what we want to push forward. But the micro startups really come from, since we work with so many bit different businesses, I see problems with them all the time. So even for like a barbershop, by having a capital pool, we can invest into creating a booking system software, which then we can hire UCR computer science students to build that micro startup give them equity into it, but then f grow that idea. That's what we want to do is build these micro startups in the gaps that exist in the environment because the ecosystem can't solve it on its own. It requires where you're talking about these partnerships. So right now we are partnering with uh, activities with um, like UC Office Technology Partnership. We're a certified vendor of their startup toolkit. We are partnering with Caravanserai, which is the nonprofit organization trying to help nonprofits in this local area of Foster. So we want to build that coalition and, and build that ecosystem because our ultimate goal really is to show that Riverside can become a startup hub, but it requires that understanding of the modern, the new. So that's mm -hmm. our, our, our vision really is to be able to really foster these startups. Yeah. So even this platform, um, the idea here is to really showcase the talent that's coming out of the Inland Empire, um, startup growth, entrepreneurial growth, um, and also talking about things that tend to be taboo for older generations. So for example, we talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot about failure. Failure used to be a thing that people never talked about. Mm -hmm. And we want that front and center. So people understand that every successful individual went through multiple failures mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. finally get to their ultimate goals. So that's, that's our grandiose vision is really 
consulting, but then fostering the growth, reinvesting that yeah. capital that comes from businesses paying us for services to then build more business opportunities for younger generations right. to foster in Riverside. Right. It, it's all about allowing. So, the so why do you want to hold them back from that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, wants to, he wants to do this in like a year. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm holding back. Calm down. That's what I'm holding back. I'm saying let's think about three years. He's saying three now, but you know, it's this was after a lot yeah. of convincing. Yeah. Um, it, it's. That is, at the end of the day, leveling playing field and then just giving opportunity, giving resources um, to these people who, Riverside it is full of geniuses. It's full of people who are so, so smart in whatever they're doing, um, whatever field that is. There's, there are people here who all they need is that tiny little help, that, that arm to be reached out to help them and let them know, hey, um, here's a fund whether that's uh i mean we have a, a few in mind but one of the ones that that i is really near and dear to my heart is a creator fund that we want to start and that's going to come through us working and, and pulling that money from our day-to-day -day business ventures uh, is pulling it so if you're an artist a local artist whether you're a musician whether you're an actual artist or whatever it is um you can you can then turn around uh, and we'll give you will give you resources to actually pursue whatever venture it might be it might be a movie it might be you creating your first album um whatever it is um it's there it, you don't have to go to 50 different places you don't have to go to all these things um we want to not just be not just fill the gap that we saw in the city we don't want to just come in here and say okay now check it out we're this big marketing agency look at us everyone in riverside knows us yeah. or everyone in the inland empire knows us cool that's all fine and dandy but at the end of the day our our goal is to fill the gap and then fill every single crack that we see um throughout the city to get it to a place that will allow it to not just kind of be oh that city on the way to this place like no mm -hmm. it's like this is riverside like this is this city this is the inland empire it is a hub for innovation it is a hub um for creation um that that really if you want to talk about end goal for us is uh get to a point where um we any any need that i have can be fulfilled within the inland empire and riverside proper so for your ideas do you have a target um a target um, um, customer, mm -hmm. so you have all that worked out, and do they see value in what you do? What tends to be the challenge to growing from there? What, what, what is it? Lack of uh, lack of um, money, or is it just uh, not quite getting the price point right, or is it uh, maybe not feeling the, the, the potential customer not feeling that there's a need there? Yeah. What, what, what is it? So absolutely, yeah. So I mean, our, our target market, so we look at, we have a couple of verticals we look at, but for small businesses, we generally look at more traditional ones that have been, they're just way behind because they have just ignored digital marketing, digital strategy, uh, technology integration, all these kinds of things. So that's de de like definitely uh, customer number one. The thing with them is um, small businesses, especially um, those that are, um, older business owners don't always understand the value behind something. So for example, if I told you that in order for you to succeed, you need a brand new website, that website's not gonna be a $1,500 that your, your, your granddaughter can create for you using Wix. This is a platform that you can scale out and we're gonna run an SEO strategy so when people Google anything related to your business, they're gonna find your business. Because of lack of information, the knowledge there, 
that's the gap that we're we're right now working on how do we message that across correctly because yeah. we talk this language every day right but if i go to a business owner that's been doing it and, and, and i hear this all the time it's worked for me in the past well, unfortunately, now, especially with COVID, oh, yeah. it's not going to work in the future. It's not. <laughs> right. And the biggest generation is, is Gen Z and millennials. And we, we're using our phones. 95% of our purchase behavior begins on a Google search. So if you're not even on Google, you don't have a Google My Business, you don't have a website, right. you just missed out on this massive market. You're only going to get your customers from word of mouth. So what we're, we're trying to really work right now on is educating on the value of moving and modernizing. Um, and it's an investment. It's not It's not cheap. And our team is, we're, we're trying to make it so that we're value oriented. We're not trying to price gouge because we know that we can provide the service that Riverside doesn't have. We're not trying to price ridiculously high. We don't no. want to price low either because we know what our worth is. Our, our team is comprised of Nick Hill, he was working at Deloitte. I was working at Esri. I was doing data analytics. Luis has multiple companies. He's worked at with a lot of background in content strategy and SEO and all these kinds of things. Our team is very talented. Nick behind the camera has done cinematography. He's done short films. We have a talented team, but the main thing is Riverside understanding of where they need to move. There's a gap there. Mm -hmm. So right now what our primary focus is educating that and mm -hmm. showing why you need to do that with case studies, yeah. with platform development and showing the growth. We have some clients that get it right away and they jump on board. Yeah. And there's other ones that are like, yeah, I get it, but can you do it for cheaper? I'm like, well, you can go for a cheaper route. Go ahead. You can go that route, but they're also just going to make your website. We build a strategy for you. So we'll make yeah. the website. We'll create your SEO strategy. A digital strategy only works if you put all the pieces together. It's the yeah. same thing as when you build a business. If you only do a business right. and you don't know who your customer is in the first place, right. You don't have right. a business. You have an idea. Yeah. So that's what we want to do. You know what you're you're talking about. I I, I completely understand. And, and you know, and, and I'll give you an example because I'm not an artist, but I rent to a lot of artists, worked with a lot of them. Uh, but one of the things that they that they explained was people don't understand the value of art. Yeah. They don't understand what that means. I mean, I can go to L.A., sell this piece for $400, and here in Riverside, they don't want to give us more than $75 for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not under, it's not understanding the value. So some of the advice that I gave them, I mean, this is, I'm not an artist, but I'm kind of a business person. I said, well, why would you want to sell locally when you can sell broadly, but be a successful business out of the city of Riverside? So you're still growing, you're mm -hmm. still having the investment, but you're, you're finding the market that's going to pay you for it. There was a gentleman who who uh, was actually the, the front runner of the scanning machines at uh, at the supermarkets. You know, instead of they used to do the cashier stuff, now they did the scan and get the part. Yep. Right here in Riverside. He was trying to sell it to Ralph's. He was trying to sell it. Well, at that time, it was Alpha Beta. He was trying to sell it. He couldn't find a buyer for it. They didn't really want it. They were still the doing it. The scanning machines? Yeah. That everyone yeah. uses Yeah. That? When they okay. were first new. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so want to make sure. Oh, that's right. Sure. You guys don't remember. You guys don't remember <laughs> that. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, he couldn't find it. So he ended up selling his first at a store called El Rey in Mexico City. They were open to it. And then there were three or four other markets. So that's where his market is. And now they're coming up here, the United States. So he's selling it there. But he was the one that started here. And... The ones here, like the Ralphs at that time, were the Alpha Beta and the Vons and have their own. But he could not find a market here. He was from Riverside, really wanted to sell it. But he ended up creating his market in Mexico. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't even speak Spanish. But, you know, he was out there selling and finding a way. They spoke enough English that so they could go together. But they were able to develop it there. So that that's kind of how you want to grow your Riverside business 
that might be a direction you may have to take where people are open to it. Mm -hmm. And you'll find the spot check, you know, people here that may want to, and it'll grow from there. But initially, you may have to go outside, but you become this Riverside company that grows it. Esri, the, the company you work for, I mean, that's a global company. They Absolutely. do, they do, and they're out of Redlands. Mm -hmm. But they found their market, and I don't know how much of their work they do locally, but I bet you a greater percentage of it is outside of the area, more Absolutely. so than inside the area. So that's how you grow your company. You want to become a Riverside market, and, and, and you create the jobs here because that's where the jobs are at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. So, so it's just a philosophical difference. One of the things, and as a city of Riverside, I felt that we had the same problem. We have nine sister cities. We have Ensenada, we have Kuala, we have one in uh, Jiangming, uh, we have one in um, um, uh, Korea, we have one in uh, Africa, we have, we have them all over. I had a gentleman come to me and say, you know, I want to do business with one of your sister cities. We don't know who to direct them to. <laughs> we don't have any of the contacts in any of our sister cities. Yeah. And I thought, well, I wish I could help you, but that, that really happens out of the mayor's office. Why don't you call them? But you know, one person held the name of two or three companies, but that was about it. You know, if we want to be a global company, we have to think globally, or mm -hmm. a city, we have to think globally and, again, act locally. One of the things that I've suggested several times, and I'm going to continue suggesting that we do this, is that we need to have an international relations office yep. in the city of Riverside. Mm -hmm. That's how you become global. Uh, you know, for business or for new people moving into the area, they have to have a connection with our city. Yep. But we also have the have to have the opportunity or partner with the local chambers that are able to have those connections, uh, you know, beyond our borders. And those are so important if you're going to make Riverside a, a successful. If we think about Los Angeles, not all the businesses are within L.A. I mean, these guys are global. People are flying in to do business with them and they fly out. Yep. Uh, we need to be that type of business. That's how you become successful. By thinking about working within our city of boundaries, it's going to be very difficult. Mm -hmm. Even with my business, when I first started it, it was all Riverside. But then the growth really became when I started taking on jobs outside of the city. We established an office in San Bernardino. We established an office in the eastern part of the San Bernardino, uh, Riverside County. And we grew up to about 20 employees. You know, those are the types of things. And then we were moving into Las Vegas or into Nevada. We just didn't do a whole lot of work there because the industry started changing. But that's kind of how it grows. But a majority of our counselors or the people that I had employed were working in San Bernardino in the eastern end because it started growing there. We became the, the focal point here uh, where the money would come here yeah. and we would spend it here. But we we're also creating revenue out at those other markets. So it really depends on how you look at your business and where you think the opportunities are. And if you think the opportunities are in XYZ area and you still have your city business here, you don't have to move there. Our technology's made that very clear that you can work any place in the world and be successful. Yeah. Uh, you can still grow that grow that here and provide the types of uh, types of benefits that you want for a local business here to grow to grow more or to provide those su support services to the individuals that are in need. So it just depends on how you want to see your business grow and it is uh, a business here, it is developed here, it grows here, but you also provide b benefit to many people around you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that we, we always look at, the way we work with companies is we have to believe in what that company is doing and, and then drive into it. So for example, we have a client in Barcelona. We have, a, we have clients uh, in, in San Diego. We have, we have outside of Riverside, but the reason why we wanna really hone in on Riverside specifically is because if Riverside does not do this transfer trend, 
businesses here will suffer because what you are talking about, which is businesses are now becoming more virtual. So the more businesses that don't digitize, the more they're going to fall behind. And mm -hmm. that is one worry right. I really do have for Riverside yeah. is so many businesses are, are, are just, just kind of staying as it is. Yeah. And they're going to have that rude wake up call because as, as you brought up, like Amazon is very interesting because Amazon's entire strategy is acquisition of smaller businesses right. to yeah. just kind of cycle in. You have to be very careful because a company like an Amazon can then reinvest into something that a local business here does, right. do it way better, way more efficiently, more capital into it. And that business just failed because they could not build a wall around them. They couldn't build a shield around them, mm -hmm. something that um, called a moat which mm -hmm. really protects right. that business. Yeah. That's what we want to do is help help shield these Riverside companies. Mm -hmm. Obviously, to your point, not all the money's here. So that, right. that's we have to, as a business, we have to survive and we're going to have right. to look at clients elsewhere. But we really want to help build that moat for Riverside businesses because we see Riverside has the potential to really foster that growth and become mm -hmm. a really strong Los Angeles, strong Silicon Valley. But it has to have that that certain aspect which yeah. is lacking which is mm -hmm. that technology which is that digital strategy which is right. that modernization of that business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, yeah and and i think it, it really touches on this this point that we touched on at the beginning of our conversation which was um creating this moat uh and and building the city out in our in our minds obviously building the city out in a way that protects it from any other industry disrupting kind of thing to happen have it be forward thinking have it be progressive in the way that it's not you're not just a reactive city where it's like if something happens and you have to just scramble around and, and figure out what you're doing right, you know right, you have everything's right. on fire in the background right. um instead you are going something happens and instead of reacting you go okay cool we have a team that was actually thinking about something like that happening we have a, we have a plan um, we have a strategy already laid out for us in the event that something like this happens um that could be a lot of things whether it's uh uh, pandemic response team, things like this. Um, but it, it's this mentality that I think me and Val share and the company share as a whole of not just putting the city in a more uh, fruitful position, putting it in a more fruitful, fruitful position while still maintaining the city's identity, yep. still maintaining everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and that to us is why we really hone in on these creatives, these artists, these small businesses in the city um, because that is the city at the end of the day it's the creatives it's the small mom and pop shops that have had their business for two generations now um or longer it's these places that are in oftentimes in dire need for digitalization um uh, and dire need of just a revamp in whatever way shape and form it might be it might be a website it might be a whole strategy it might be entire brand entire brand it might be mm -hmm. something is there's a piece missing we not only want to go into a business like that and say, hey, we can help you find that missing piece. We want to, and we make a really big point of this, is when we first uh, are contacting a client, not only do we have discovery meetings, plural, to really identify what a pain point might be for a client, because I, I don't, I don't, there's a lot of places, a lot of bigger consulting firms that what they'll do is, um, they'll get on a 30 minute phone call and be like, Hey, uh, what do you need? And then they'll close it and they'll shoot you over a proposal. And all you've had with them is a 30 minute conversation. That's not what we do. That just doesn't sit right with us. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have these discovery meetings. We sit down with them. We say, Hey, you know, talk us about your business. Why were you, why have you been successful? Where do you want to be? How have you, like, what have you done? Um, that's one meeting. Then we identify stuff on our own. And then we talk, have another meeting that just is directly dedicated to what their, what their pain points are. 
um, what's affecting you, how it's affecting you. Is this recent? Is this something that's been ongoing? How can we fix that? Um, and then after that, we propose a plan with their brand, existing brand in mind. Um, it's not just us going in and, and now we just, it's basically a free logic company that also sells like pizzas or something like that. Like, <laughs> no, no this is your pizza shop. It mm-hmm. just so happened. And it's the exact same place, exact same feel. It's just now it's modernized. Now it's ready for the future. It's ready. If somebody was to look up pizza near me, they could find it as opposed mm-hmm. to just you going around the block and being like, yeah, it's a really good slice of pizza that mm-hmm. is like down the street from me. Right. Um, like oftentimes happens. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this digitalization and modernization with the city's DNA in mind. Yeah. We're not we're not coming in here to do a whole new remodel. Um, all we want to do is spruce up the place. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. All right. Now, who, who are you guys talking to uh, regarding your plan? Do you talk to anybody? We usually yeah. just yell. Yeah. <laughs> whoever, whoever, whoever listens is the uh, that works. That usually yeah. works. <laughs> so I, I, I'm I'm heavily involved when it comes to uh, like UCR Office Technology Partnerships. Uh-huh. Uh, heavily involved with AGSM as as a, as a graduate from the MBA school. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the one side we haven't really gotten engaged with, which is why this, this today's show is very yeah, interesting, yeah. is is honestly council. We haven't yeah. really gotten involved with yeah. the city uh, about these plans, and the, the reason why is we're really building out these case studies and showing through data. Because yeah. our whole approach is we don't want to say things; we want to show things, and and especially if we're trying to convince city council members who've been around for a long time right. who might not see what like we're a seeing. a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to we want to we want to yeah. engage individuals such as yourself with data yeah. and show yeah. you that with this this is what could be Riverside. Right. And that's right. how we really want to engage and, and and foster it forward, but that is the uh, the last piece that we're going to be looking at is building that partnerships with the city yeah. and really pushing it forward because this facility we're in right now Riverside yeah. Studios this was county owned then it was now it's handed over to yeah. Recurby Hines, UCR professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of innovation you want to see is kind of like this this partnership duality between the city supporting these businesses and providing a space where their innovation then can thrive. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. we talked about today sure. is really what we want to be able to encompass. All right. Now, who do you connect, who do you connect with at the city? Have you connected with anybody at the city, staff members? No, yes. Okay, yeah, good, it's... good. Well, we can we can work on that. I think your ideas are great. You know, I, th- I think it's the type of thing that um, that we have not really focused in on as much as we should. We do have a, a couple, you know, incubators that we've invested in, but I, I don't really see a lot coming out of them. I mean, there may be. They just do not talk about it a lot. Yeah. But I think it's something we should be able to grow, especially with the importance that technology is pain, playing now in, in our whole, you know, the whole uh, our whole city and, and, and our social networking. And, you know, we do more Zoom meetings than we ever did eight months ago. You know, oh, yes. it, it's, just, it's just amazing. And I know that part of the technology is going to continue to improve. So, uh, no, we'd be happy to sit down and talk a little bit more and see what we might, might be able to do. Um, obviously, I'm not the technology guru, <laughs> but we do have people in our city that are excellent and, and uh, know what the needs are of a city. But also, you'd want to talk to our economic development department so that they can tell you what they see the needs are in the in the industry as well. Be more than happy to do that. Absolutely. No, we very much appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, very good. But yeah, no, I think today we had a very uh, fruitful conversation all the way yeah. from uh, voting all the way to then. But um, the way that we'll, we'll end, end the show for today is uh, we'll give you 
a last kind of platform chance to say yeah. whatever you have to say to our oh specific audience. Oh my goodness, you're so, going to give a politician all this time, oh, yeah. right? So, you, so that, that's your camera there? <laughs> all right, there I am right there. Well, you know, it, it, it really, first of all, thank you so much for the Absolutely. invitation. It Absolutely. really is a, is a, um, a pleasure to be here and talk with you about your ideas and, and also getting to know me as an individual as well. I think it's important yeah. that when we get to know each other, it's that handshake that I was talking about. Absolutely. You know, you make that connection and now you're connected with it and elected or you're connected with the city of Riverside and, and what you feel that you want to see uh, happen in the future. You know, thank you, Brittany, for, for the invitation to come out. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure speaking with these young men and these guys have done an excellent job, I'm sure, <laughs> with it, with the video and the, and the audio on this. But, you know, as a city council member, it's I, I will tell you, just reflecting on my four terms as city council members, it has been probably the most exciting thing that I've ever done. Now, keep in mind, I started my business in 1982. And uh, we've seen it grow. I developed offices, actually became very, uh, we did financially very well. But this job has probably been the most exciting because you're able to make transitions and, and able to impact groups of people's lives. It doesn't work very fast, but it, but it really does make a difference in the city of Riverside, and it impacts, it impacts uh, community members uh, just significantly. As, um, as, uh, as your mayor, uh, I would definitely continue the growth, uh, continue the, um, the, uh, the uh, innovative uh, approach to how we're going to address um, the growth of Riverside in the future uh, with the universities, all universities growing, whether it be Cal Baptist, University of California, Riverside, and our city college and La Sierra University. You know, we need to keep up with it, not just in housing, but in jobs and, and those development. Two of the economic ideas that I shared with you aren't, aren't the only ones mm -hmm. because we really need to develop, develop others. And, and most importantly, you know, those um, students coming out of the university systems and having them feel connected with our community so that they can continue to, to work and, and live, live in the city of Riverside. Um, as your, I can only tell you, as, uh, as the city council member for 14 years, we've seen tremendous change. Um, we think about the Riverside Renaissance, which was a $1.6 billion mm. investment in the city of Riverside that really gave us this, this bounce, which allows us to fix the Fox Theater and, the, and, and the, uh, expand the, 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 um, the convention center, as well as fix up the things that needed fixing up throughout the city of Riverside. That investment was so important. That investment has now got to ship to private enterprise and help that uh, help the small business owner grow and develop and create new ideas and new avenues for our city. So I'm very interested in talking with you again. And Absolutely. hopefully the next time I talk to you, it will be as a mayor. Hopefully. In the next hopefully. seven days, we'll find out. And we'll just keep our fingers crossed and hopefully it'll work, work out. And if not, it'll be as a city council member. See what we can do as a city council Absolutely. member as well. Absolutely. So thank you so much for the invitation. Really do appreciate you inviting me here and look forward to some continued conversation and another cup of coffee at a later time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. But yeah, thank you, Andy. Appreciate right. it very much. Um, as, as for those uh, listening for today, very much appreciate you helping us get to uh, the 50 followers we wanted to get to on Twitch. Um, we also will be having our next show on Saturday at noon. 
going to be with Jonathan Javier, who is a UCR alumni, founder of One Salting. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting conversation. We're going to talk about leaving tech companies in the middle of COVID-19 to build startup companies. So it'll be a great conversation there. Um, but yeah, definitely follow us on all our social platforms, uh, Free Logic Media across the board on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. Um, also, big shout out when it comes to UCR MIS uh, for helping make this event happen. So definitely follow them on their socials. Um, you should probably throw their socials in the chat just so that everybody can follow them. Um, but yeah, we hope to have continued conversations sure. on this and and hopefully we can make uh, Riverside continue to flourish and become this fantastic All place right. we want it to become. Well, Absolutely. Great. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks for the invitation. Yep. We're going to do this again in Spanish, right? See. Sí. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. All right, Spanish. <laughs> <laughs>